unexpectedly, what I got from this shared space together is what does it mean to be fully human in all of us, like in all aspects of mm -hmm. what gives us joy. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. So many student affairs professionals are considering leaving the field for so many reasons. Today, I'm joined by three folks who moved away from traditional student affairs roles years ago. I think these folks will be able to share some wisdom and insight about their experience that might help those of you considering leaving the field think more deeply and hopefully make a better decision for you, whatever that is. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to learn from all of you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for more than 2,000 college and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. I'm so excited to have all three of you joining us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and your leaving the traditional student affairs journey. And John, we're gonna start with you. All right, great. Uh, my name is John Garland. I use he, him pronouns. And uh, I left student affairs or higher ed um, uh, just over five years ago. I'm the director of research and student success for the Cobell Scholarship. Uh, the Cobell Scholarship is a Native American scholarship. I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, and we uh, fund Native scholars across the U.S. who are members of one of the federally recognized tribes. So there are over 500 of those. We have scholars across over 450 campuses uh, in the country, and we um, fund over $6 million a year in scholarships. And uh, so my role is really more higher ed adjacent uh, in lots of ways. I get to keep all the great parts uh, from student affairs and faculty roles. So I get to do the research I want to do. I get to do the student interaction parts I want to do and, um, and really get to sort of be in everything that's important to me uh, at this point in my career. So uh, that's sort of a broad overview. Um, mm -hmm. I would also mention that uh, five years goes by really quickly. A lot of my anxieties that I had when I left student affairs really didn't come true. Um, mm. I'm still connected in the ways I want to be connected. Mm. I still do the things I want to do professionally. And so uh, if there's one thing I could say right off the top is that um, some of the anxieties uh, I think are normal, but the connected pieces, the professional pieces for me anyway, remain solid uh, through my transition. That's great. I relate to so much of that. And before you left, you were in a, a faculty role, right? So it could, maybe you could say just a little bit about yeah. that, because I think we're yeah. often talking about practitioners leaving, but you're you're here to represent sort of a faculty move. Sure. Well, uh, many of us are partnered, and so we also have to navigate dual household careers. And my husband is an academic administrator. And so when he goes somewhere, then I also have to figure out what I'm going to do in this case. And um, and so I took a faculty position when he took a dean position and uh, loved every minute of that. And then when he took an administrative position uh, back in DC, then that was my point at which I was like, what am I going to do? And that's when the Cobell opportunity uh, presented itself. And therein lies the opportunity, I think, to really reconsider one's career and the mm -hmm. pathways that we think are typical uh, sometimes aren't maybe the best pathway for us. And so yeah. taking a chance at moments like that can be really beneficial. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, John. And uh, Rita, tell us a little bit about you and your journey. Hi, everyone. I'm Rita Zhang. I use she, her pronouns, calling from the indigenous territories of the Ohlone people. 
also called Oakland, California. I am currently, I'm many things, but currently I'm calling in as uh, the founder of Community Roots Financials. I hold and facilitate space for communities of color on our financial empowerment needs. Uh, that looks like a sprinkling of consulting, uh, facilitating workshops, and also financial coaching. Um, but it's also a lot of uh, creative projects that can come out because I am a solopreneur. I run my own business, mm -hmm. and that's probably one of my favorite things right now about leaving student affairs is the freedom that I have to be creative and to craft my life. I have left just under five years. It'll be five years in January. Um, so time does go by fast, John. And when I was working in student affairs or in traditional higher ed roles, I ran cultural centers and affinity-based programs and really worked with student activists on all of the social justice issues that, that come up um, in students' learning journeys. So in many ways, what I do now still feels so familiar to what I've always been doing, um, but it took me a little bit to find that because to be real, I left student affairs because I was really burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I actually just didn't work for eight months to really move through that burnout. And I didn't know if I would keep going in terms of working in the way that I've always worked in social justice work, but I found my way back and mm -hmm. happy to be here now today with you all. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and Eric, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, yeah, so I am Eric Mata. I am calling in um, or speaking in from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, also a very indigenous area <clears throat> of the United States. Um, and I am currently a recruiter at a company called Corn Ferry. So they do recruitment process outsourcing um, for other. So essentially, we do recruiting for other companies. Um, and maybe we can talk more a little bit about mm -hmm. that later. But prior to coming into the field of talent acquisition, um, I worked at um, as an assistant director in multicultural affairs uh, for a school in Chicago. Um, and I actually, in a lot of ways, now that, now that I've spent some time thinking about this, I stumbled out of higher education, mm. student affairs. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a transition that I wanted to make, that I was necessarily ready to make. Um, you know, Rita, you talked a little bit about, you know, being at a point where you needed to be out of the space. It That that wasn't necessarily my experience. I had actually, um, we had decided to move to Milwaukee from Chicago, me and my family, um, you know, you talked about uh, being partnered and, and dual careers. And uh, my partner had accepted a job here in Milwaukee um, and we made the decision to move. Um, I, I was able to convince my employer at the time to to let me work remote one day a week and make the almost two hour uh, travel into into Chicago uh, for the other four days of the week and eventually got to the point where that was too much. Um, you know, I had applied for some diversity jobs here in Milwaukee, but there are only three or four major universities here in the city. So uh, the field of diversity education and multicultural affairs is really small. Um, and, you know, I, I got denied for a director position um, and used that as an opportunity to rely on my network of folks that, you know, essentially put it out on Facebook that I'm moving to Milwaukee. And uh, if anybody knows of anything to let me know, and, and a friend of mine reached out to me, um, somebody I had met at one of the social justice conferences, I believe through ACPA, I think it was in Kansas City or something mm. like that. Um, and, you know, she had left the field and was working in, in you know, this this talent acquisition space. Um, and I used that network to to apply for a job. And um, it was it was something when I first did it, it was something to do. Um, but I was able to navigate my way into university relations work, um, which was a really good connection to the work that I had finished doing when I left Chicago. I was really focusing on um, career readiness for um, historically underserved, historically under 
prepared folks um, coming out of college, going into the career space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to kind of utilize that as a way to to find my passion within this particular space. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's a little bit about kind of my- And how long? I think my... you're you're the senior oh, yeah. here. How long did you yeah, make that move? I just saw on my Facebook memories yesterday that it was eight years um, oh, that yeah. I started that that new position. I, I took a couple of weeks in between uh, starting um, for the first time ever. I had taken a couple of weeks off between jobs, um, but, but yeah, about eight years, I believe it was. Yeah. Well, I left my traditional student affairs role at McAllister College uh, seven years ago. And I just, when I see those Facebook memories, I'm like, there's no way. They're like, there's no way it was seven years ago. It feels like just a flash. And I think it's part of that is, um, as Rita pointed out, like what I do is so eclectic and exciting and moving and changing. I often tell people, you know, that first year you're in that new job and you don't know what you're doing. That's how I feel seven years later, because it is not the same job. And, and I love that, right? I love the energy of the learning and the growth and, and some of that. So, so I'm going to host, and I'm also going to be a little bit of a guest here. I'll try and stay out of the way. Um, well, Eric, we're going to come back to you, but um, here's a long preamble to a question. <laughs> and our guests have had this question, and, and they're ready for it. So there's lots of talk about people leaving student affairs. Um, and as Rochelle Pope talks about with us, our co-host, uh, this has always been the case. Student affairs has always been losing people. And this seems different. Um, also, people leaving student affairs is not always a bad thing. Some should have never been in student affairs in the first place and got talked into it by a trusted mentor <laughs> who needed to fill a grad program or, you know, who knows what. Um, and maybe we're on to something that it has always been a better fit. Others have evolved and grown and are ready for new challenges and new roles and new situations. And others really are a great fit for student affairs, and we're losing people who really should remain in the field for them and for the students that they serve. I expect our audience to, to listen to this to include folks who are thinking about leading, leaving or folks who are concerned about all the people leaving and want to better supervise and lead organizations so that we're keeping folks, especially keeping the folks who really want to stay and can really benefit. So I'll, I've asked our folks uh, today to look back at their experience and uh, what are three key lessons you've learned in your transition and since that you would highlight for others? As, as we mentioned, we've got folks who've, who've not only done it, but they've done it and had quite a bit of time to think about it and reflect. And that's really the perspective. So Eric, what are, what are some three key lessons that you've learned in your transition that might benefit others? Um, yeah, that's a that's a really great question. I, I spent some time thinking about this. I think the the first thing um, that that came to mind is at some point in our careers within student affairs, we get to a point where um, we have to. Where we get to. I don't want to call it a breaking point, but we get to this place where we are making choices about who we are as people. Um, outside of work Mm -hmm. and sometimes at at some point in our careers those choices that we make come up against the choices that we have to make at work or the choices that we're forced to make at work Um, and and for me that revolved around family right and and the decision the choices that my partner and I made to start a family Um, you know, so it, it when we when we had our first kid in Chicago, it made it a little bit more difficult to say yes to staying late at work and mm-hmm. and doing after five events, you know, after five p.m. events, not just for, that are work-related events with students and whatnot, but with colleagues that want to go out after work and and do all of those things. Um, when our daughter, our oldest, be got to be close to school age. Um, we did some talking to folks around the city of Chicago about the school systems um, and made the decision that we wanted our kid to have a great education, but didn't want to deal with some of the challenges in navigating a really large um, public school system because we wanted our kids to be in public schools. Um, we didn't want to go the private school route. Um, so those types of choices, um, if, if we don't pay attention, at least for me, 
you know, if I didn't pay attention to how those choices I was making were going against some of the things that were happening at work, it, it would have made it um, a much more challenging situation for me. For me, the priority at that point became, uh, you know, focused inwardly, internally towards myself and my family, as opposed to externally and the people that are that were around me, the work that I was doing, still valued all of those things. But at some point, you know, it, it became important to really decide on, you know, what do I want to focus from here on out? Because I have other people that are relying on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you joked earlier, Keith, uh, before we started about, um, you know, some of those financial decisions that you have to make. And, and you know, so those, all of those things come into play and, and you need to make that decision of where do I, where do I go? What do I do now? Can I continue on this road? Um, while also con- considering and navigating you know, the, when you're in such a, a small and specialized area within student affairs, like multicultural student success or diversity affairs, you know, it's it's kind of like being being an athlete, right? Uh, for, mm-hmm. for, to use that as an analogy, uh, when you when you become a pro, there's only so many spots available, right? And mm-hmm. at some point, you you're either gonna be left out of the talent pool for whatever reason you know, the, the hierarchy that exists within higher education of if you don't have a PhD or a doctorate, there's only so far you can go and more people are getting PhDs and doctorates. So that makes those kind of upper echelon positions even more challenging. Um, you know, and for me, I was at a point where the PhD isn't for me. It's, it's never going to be for me. Um, so anything beyond a director position is probably never going to happen and a doctor a director position may not be in the books for me either right so so all of those things really kind of came into play and and really for me it was about taking the time to to think through all of those things um and find a way to become an advocate for myself right like uh, as student affairs practitioners a lot of times we're taught or told that we need to be advocates for our students but rarely along the way are we told that we need to be advocates for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that that was an important lesson for me and something that I've carried into my work in this area, you know, being able to advocate for myself and say, you know, look, I'm, I really like what I'm doing here. I think I'm ready for something else. Can, can I do more, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that that was an important lesson for me. Um, and I think I shared a couple. Um, and, and I think the, the last thing, um, the, the last lesson was, for me at least, was, was that I didn't necessarily, we don't have to necessarily look for things outside of student affairs that are adjacent to student affairs. I think oftentimes you see folks that leave student affairs um, and, and go into consulting like you, Keith, mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of the folks that, that I knew um, from when I first started out in the field that went out and got their PhDs, they're all doing consulting work. Um, you know, that doesn't always have to be the case, you know, doing, doing financial literacy. Um, and I know that's a very small way of talking about the work that you're doing, Rita, but um, that isn't necessarily student affairs adjacent, right? So I, I think it's important to, to kind of think about that, um, you know, as, as folks if folks are thinking of leaving the field, that's something to to really to really think about. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll stop there, and, and mm-hmm. I have some other thoughts, but I I, I want to kind of go to other people, see what other folks say, and maybe bounce off of those. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Eric. Um, Rita, what are what are three key? Oh, before we go, Rita, I just want to say I was hearing Eric you say a lot about sort of thinking about your life not as an employee, but as a person. Um, and I, I think that's that's something that I would offer those who are supervising student affairs professionals worried about people leaving is people do not want to be treated like employees. They want to be treated like people who have families and kids and interests and, and all of these things. And so I think that was really great to hear you talk about that for yourself. And I think also in thinking about others. But now to Rita. Rita, what are what are three key lessons that you would offer that you've learned in, in your journey so far? Yeah, well, first I want to just say, Eric, what you were sharing was feeling so resonant for me. 
uh, especially when you started with who are we outside of work? Like that hit me in my gut. <clears throat> and I think that's so, so true. And I think it's particularly resonant because I think my departure from, from student affairs was so, it felt like so hard. Like I didn't stumble out of it like you. I, I felt like I had nothing else left. Um, and I have the perspective now looking in retrospect, my whole exit was a cum accumulation of so many things happening for me at that time, but at the core of it, and, and that's why I do my work now at Community Roots is my own unlearning of capitalism, mm -hmm. even within <laughs> me, and that I don't dream to labor. Uh, and it, it's kind of like hard to like, peace out, I think for me five years ago, because I worked in social justice spaces. I worked in spaces that were all about anti-racism, anti-oppression. And we had such sharp analysis of all of those things. But when it came to the work, the dichotomy of all the things you were saying brought me back. Oh, I was like, oh yeah, all those late night things that we had to go to. And I would choose that because I wanted to be there with students and for students or constant onslaughts of just crises, like campus crises and just needing to stay up, like racking my brain every night being like, okay, how do I respond? How do I like push administrators to respond in an ethical way, in a values aligned way? How can I hold the healing circles for students? And throughout all of that, it was always external, like the people I served, but really it was what was also happening was my own unlearning of my relationship to working and productivity and also value that my self-worth is not just tied to how I was performing in the job. But it's hard to see that because I didn't see my work in student mm -hmm. affairs as a job. I saw it as my, my passion and my life's work. And identity. And can, yeah, and my identity, right? Um, and so I think the lesson that I really found is after I left, it's kind of one that, that those things I care. So before I did community, I started community roots, I was burnt out. So I didn't work for like seven months. And then I did a stint in an IT company, a for-profit IT company, which I was recruited to from other burnt out ex higher ed people. That's how I got it. I knew nothing about IT. So I thought it was really funny that they hired me because I was like, I don't know anything anyways. Um, but what was I, how did I get here? So I think at the IT company, I started because I literally did not care about IT and computers. It was like a lesson for me of, hey, things I care about don't have to just be in what I work for. Mm -hmm. And through that re-energizing process, because my work didn't deplete me so much, I was able to go back to the community spaces um, in the Bay that I've always organized with and have been partners with and in community with. And I found that, hey, these things are still important to me and there are different ways that I can, can make that happen. And then ultimately the other lesson I got to was, I actually do wanna be doing this work still as work work, like capital mm -hmm. W work, but there are different ways that I can, can make it happen in a way that mm -hmm. is more harmonious and balanced so that I can, so my like personal goal in my business is I never wanna work more than 30 hours a week. Um, and I'm very selective about who I partner with. And I only partner with people that I feel like reciprocate to me in, in a way that gives me energy in life, um, that they share my values, but they also pay me in a way that feels good. And I've never actually, it's so funny, I've never actually had a difficult conversation in regards to payment because that energy of attraction, people that wanna work with me also want to like pay me in a way that feels good to them. And so all of these things have been really magical to find um, in new configurations in new ways, but in ways that have always been me. And the last lesson I'll throw in, because we are talking about people that have left, 
my last lesson is still, I still love education. I miss students. Mm -hmm. I miss the learning environment. Um, and to me, it's not finite either. I don't think of myself as I've left and I'm forever gone. Like that door is still open for me, but it's more about what are the right conditions that also serve me and my humanity and the way that I want to uh, exist in this world that feels feels well, like my well-being is important. Yeah. I love you talking about unlearning, which I think mm -hmm. I used to think I needed to learn more things to be smart. And now, particularly having very young children taught mm -hmm. me that they're wise, not because of what they know, they're wise because of what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And our, our baggage and our trauma and our oppressive socialization and all of that unlearning is so related to that. And I love you bringing in the identity and the connection with that. I certainly experienced that this is who I am rather than a thing that I do or a thing that I'm committed to. And um, it's also reminding me, even for people who aren't looking to leave, that's, maybe you can think about decoupling your identity from your work so you can be better in your work. That's right. Steve Herdenen has talked on two of these podcasts, one on trauma stewardship and one on rethinking residence life about when our identity or when our job becomes our identity, mm -hmm. all the conflict, I, I, I can't think of clean words to say it, <laughs> the conflict, the drama, the obfuscation uh, that we do to others and that we do to ourselves in that way and decoupling that identity can give us, uh, that healthy non-attachment, mm -hmm. uh, to help right, us see right, things. Go ahead, Eric. Right, right before I was leaving, there was a, a big push. I don't know if it was just where I was working, but uh, maybe across higher education student affairs around moving away from work-life balance towards work-life integration. Mm -hmm. And that was probably is, and I don't know, uh, if folks want to email me about this after they, but that is one of the biggest lies that managers, directors, hiring managers, people managers can push on their staff within, within really any field, but especially within higher education, right? That integration is what gets people in trouble, right? It, it, it's what makes people work, want to work or feel like they have to work 80 hours a week, that they can't leave their, their, they can't leave work at the office they have to bring it home with them you know so so i don't know i, I hope i don't get you I, in trouble keep saying that, i know but. get us in trouble you're you're free man go, go for it i remember you're telling us i remember proudly feeding my infant daughter as i did emails on my phone and thinking proud of look how productive i am look how dedicated i am it's 7 40 at night i'm knocking out these emails and now I look, I'm, I'm just disgusted with my, and no boss told me to do that. No one said you had to do that. That was certain cultures that sort of supported that. Um, and I did it to myself. Um, John, I want to, I want to turn to you because I think we, we, we often leave faculty out of this. And I have two conversations with faculty this week about leaving both fully tenured uh, they're not in student affairs, but they're in other faculty roles, just thinking, I want something a little bit different. And yeah. so what are some of the lessons yeah. you've learned in your transition? Yeah, I think leaving a faculty tenured position is is really a hard thing to do because you're socialized to not think about doing that. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. um, so there are lots of there are lots of barriers to sort of freeing yourself, I think, when you're a faculty member, uh, especially with tenure. I think the other thing that comes with that, when you can extricate yourself from it, you really free yourself to rethink your professional goals. And in my case, uh, whether I was a student affairs administrator or a faculty, I was really focused on indigenous college students and the research surrounding their experience in college. And I had spent uh, 15 years in higher ed uh, going to conferences, talking about the need for uh, addressing the invisibility of Native students and their data within higher ed and, mm -hmm. and going to every, every point at which I thought I could make a difference. And so whether it was journal uh, boards, I would go to them and say, let's talk about the ethical implications of leaving Native students out of data sets that you're publishing. Let's talk about these things. What, what can we do? How can we address this? And I found that I was just continually talking till I was blue in the face and nothing was changing. And so for a while I thought, well, my message isn't getting through. So I have to change my message. 
So I would change my audiences and change my message. And uh, when, um, when we were moving back to the East Coast, I thought, you know what, this is a really good opportunity to rethink my goal here. And my goal is to really inform and be in data inclusive in higher ed with indigenous college student data. And um, at that same time, there uh, sort of serendipitously, there was uh, a scholarship being born uh, called the Cobell Scholarship. And it really got me thinking about how much data they might have, how much data indigenous scholarship providers might have, and uh, which then prompted some conversations. And I thought, you know what? There is real opportunity here to take this data and begin informing higher education about what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, through that work and, and through the last five years, um, our scholarship partners with the other three large indigenous college student uh, scholarship providers. We have gotten uh, two very large grants uh, in the last five years to begin sharing our data and building infrastructure and in essence, building a research center. And, um, and so we're using that sort of energy uh, because it wasn't happening in higher ed. And so I took advantage of what wasn't happening, try to fill that gap and think about what my professional goals are in relation to that. So I would say that I'm much more fulfilled now mm -hmm. than I was before. I'm more professionally connected, I think, than I felt before. I'm uh, actually more, uh, I would say I'm happier. <laughs> I, it's a, a strange way to think about it, but I'm actually happier uh, doing this work in this way than I was before. And I don't know what that says about higher ed. I don't know what that says about the barriers that are constantly in place in higher ed to keep us from sort of actualizing our, our professional goals in those spaces, but mm -hmm. they're there. And uh, I think they're different for all of us, but that's one of the big lessons I learned that uh, when you're free from that, you can really rethink your professional goals in ways that matter more uh, mm -hmm. to self. And so uh, I think that's my big takeaway. The other big takeaway was I didn't miss out on any professional opportunities. So uh, right now I'm serving as associate editor for New Directions for Student Services, um, you know, which is, uh, sort of one of those cornerstone publications in student affairs. Um, I mentioned before we came on uh, the air that I'm also on the foundation of the ACPA um, foundation board. And so thinking about how I can continue my higher ed service has also been an important component for me. Mm -hmm. So I want to stay connected to higher ed, but I want to now see it as service to the profession. And so I construct it that way. So those are my service opportunities. But I think the other big lesson for me is, and I came on five years ago and started working remotely right off, right off the bat. And that ahead of your not, time. Yeah, that was not standard then. And so I sort of jumped a lot of hurdles and learned a lot of lessons. And then when it happened to lots of other people during the pandemic, I found that you know the things I had struggled with before, I hadn't realized how much I had sort of overcome when you think about working remotely. And uh, so there were lots of lessons I was able to share through that process, but also the, I think that opens up opportunities for us as former student affairs folks to talk about, you know, there are really new opportunities that weren't, that didn't exist when we all transitioned away from student mm -hmm. affairs because of work from home opportunities mm -hmm. now. And so I think the landscape has shifted and I think it's really easier for a lot of folks in student affairs to think about um, not being in student affairs or doing something adjacent or doing something different and still be completely fulfilled or fill those gaps that they really needed to think more uh, critically about in their lives that need extra attention. I love that you're reminding us to center purpose um, because that was a, a huge part of my and I'll describe what led to my leaving was a personal transformation. Um, and I think all of us feel like we have purpose, but if you don't, if you can't say what it is, then you can't make decisions based on it. And I think um, we often get caught up with externally imposed purposes, right? The purpose that our family wanted for us, the purpose that John and I were at the University of Maryland. This the purpose that Susan Comavis mm -hmm. wanted for us, right? right? And the hardest ones to give up are the ones that come that are compliments and come from people who we love yeah. and admire, as we both 
yeah. love and admire Susan, but that was not my purpose. And when, when you someone get clear, says you're so good at this, I know <laughs> you keep doing it, and you're like, yeah, I may be good at it, but that's not what I want to do. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when if you can let go of what the external purposes you've taken on and figure out really what is it that you want, what is your purpose? Yours, not the shoulds, not societies, not your parents, not your mentor, not what is your purpose? I tell my coaches and clients all the time once you get clear about your purpose, the rest is just strategy and execution. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it sounds like you got really clear about your purpose rather than focusing on here's a path I'm on. Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? Oh, there's lots of paths here. Um, so I think that's really helpful. We've, we've got a little bit of time here. So I want to come to each of you to, to just add on. Rita, what else would you want folks to think about or hear um, if they're thinking about this? I, I think for me, one of the things that, that is important, especially for folks who are listening that are managers, that are people managers, um, I, there's an article that just came out um, Tuesday, last Tuesday, in higher ed jobs that talked about you know remote work policies and salaries being a huge contributor to people wanting to leave the field and and you know the the salary thing it it has always been an issue um at least in the time that i was in in higher education um you know it's a it's an issue now my my partner is looking for work uh, looking for a new job and you know salary is an issue there for her as well um but the the remote work one, I think, is one where people managers have a, an obligation or a duty to really consider um, for their employees. The we were able to be two years remote during the pandemic for a lot of folks within within student affairs, within student affairs adjacent areas, recruitment, recruitment, you know, all of those areas, career services. They were able to do it. They were able to get it done. Um, they were able to to be successful in that work. And now that that quote unquote COVID is over for a lot of folks, mm-hmm. um, they want to bring folks back into the office full time. Um, and there needs to be some flexibility there. You know, my my partner is fighting with her boss so that her employees can get um, one day remote a week um, when. You know, she works in admissions, so they're out in the field anyway, doing remote work. Um, so why not provide that opportunity for them? And it, and it could be an option. I did it for six months uh, when I in my last role within higher education. I, I'd worked every Friday from home. I was able to do that. I was able to navigate that, still be productive. Um, and as people managers, they have to really take that into consideration mm-hmm. um, because that's one of the things that they probably have some ability to make a change in, in within the scope of their work. So, so I would just say that that's one thing. And I think the purpose thing is really important as well to kind of go off of that um, and really just add that um, that purpose for yourself doesn't have to be within the student affairs space either, right? Like you, you were saying, Keith, you know, a lot, a lot of times that purpose is kind of put on us. You know, I think you'd be good in, at this. I think you'd be good at that. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, um, you know, that purpose is, is very different and, and to be able to have the courage to follow that purpose is, is really important. And, Mm -hmm. um, but also very challenging. It's very difficult that, 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 um, that desire to pursue that purpose outside of the work that you're currently doing can be very challenging, um, for sure. Yeah, I think people often ask me about, you know, I've been doing this for seven years on my own. People say, oh, is it hard? Is it hard? I tell people all the time, the hardest part was the decision. That's right. The decision was the scariest that you said courage. And that was the moment I needed courage was the choice. I'm going to do this because that was really hard. Rita, what else would you add here? I'm really glad, Eric, that you brought up salaries. Um, because I think from my experience, I think focusing too much on purpose was part of why I, I was in turmoil for a little bit. And I actually coach a lot of folks in nonprofits right now and in higher ed or justice focused type of work, but get so, so underpaid. 
And I think there's a real pragmatic part, and this is gonna be different for everyone, right? But if we, of course, purpose is important and what do we need for our security needs? And a lot of times that's also our financial security needs. Mm -hmm. And that it's also not like a either or thinking. It's not, I either can do a purposeful job and be underpaid or make a lot of money, but sell my soul. Um, and I think that's a little bit of what I got from what you were sharing, John, that I think for, for my perspective, higher ed is just so rigid and so slow to move because of these institutions, right? And there are many ways we can do our work and have our security needs met if, if we can um, think creatively. And, and when we talk about liberation, I think it's always in the, like the theory but my journey, even into my solopreneur practice has been very much personal of like liberation also means allowing myself to imagine something different, even though I went, I didn't know we had the Maryland connection, right? Um, <laughs> I went through the Maryland program and everyone loves student affairs. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Susan Comavez, I was thinking about her because she had us read this article on people leave student affairs after seven years, like that's the attrition rate, right? Mm -hmm. And as I was prepping for this podcast, I was like, oh yeah, I totally fell into that statistic. <laughs> um, so it's, it's both and I think. And the thing I also wanna say to maybe folks, it's not just higher ed, it's in a lot of our workplaces. Mm -hmm. um, this, we internalize so much of the capitalistic need to always maximize, always increase our productivity and meet the next milestone, um, that that then is what creates, I think, the dehumanization that makes that integration or that harmony or whatever you want to call it really hard for the actual people working. And I want to suggest um, this thing, I've been reading a lot and, and doing more work in solidarity economy work, right? Like what are different ways we can structure our economic ways that we are in community and this this notion of degrowth right mm -hmm. if we keep growing and we keep always pushing to like do the next better thing or have mm -hmm. this year we got 150 students for this conference next year we're going to get 200 you know that is unsustainable mm -hmm. it's unsustainable for ourselves as humans it's unsustainable for the mm -hmm. planet it's unsustainable for i think our society's spiritual needs. And so much of what we're talking about here is purpose is beyond just what we do in work. We have purpose in our families, um, with our creative selves, with whatever else like we care about. So I really wanna suggest that too for, for folks in decision-making spaces, like why people are scared to have people work remote because maybe that will lower productivity or how do I know you're really working? You know, like, let's, let's try to think differently because where we're headed is not sustainable, not just in, in student affairs, it's unsustainable for our world. Well, we're in the deep end. John, where else would you want to take us here? This is fantastic. <laughs> what else would you want to add here before we move to, to wrapping up? Yeah, I would just mention that um, I agree with everything that's been said. I, I think it's all very salient. The one thing, you know, I have been so uh, fortunate, uh, privileged to have sort of the Maryland um, connection and, and all of the wonderful wisdom that's been shared through those networks. Um, but what I would say is regardless of your network, that it's important to tend that network, mm -hmm. to continue those connections, to uh, really reach out to those colleagues who have been meaningful to you and for you throughout your career in higher ed, because those I, I have found even over the last five years have been still central to my professional development and my and personal. Yes. And uh, yeah, they've all become really close friends, mm -hmm. uh, lifelong friends in lots of ways. And so those I think are the sustaining elements regardless of where we're working. Uh, those relationships really have been, for me, uh, foundational to, to, again, going back to happiness. Um, I mentioned that word before, but I think that's, uh, that's a critical element. And, 
connecting your happiness to what makes you happy. Um, and I think those networks for me anyway, have been incredibly uh, important for that. So I also agree with Rita when you, I was just reading an article, I think last week in the New York Times about, uh, about this theory of degrowth or uh, growth is not sustainable. And what does that look like? And I think that's spot on. And I think that's a conversation that we all need to have uh, across fields and especially in higher ed, uh, because that's really what drives decisions. And that's really what keeps people making decisions for others to come back in the office. And, mm -hmm. you know, it really underlie, underlies, I think, a lot of uh, the dysfunction that we see and that we try to avoid by not working in higher ed. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, as expected, we are running out of time. Uh, so we always like to close. This podcast is called Student Affairs Now. What are you thinking, troubling, or pondering now? Might be related to this conversation, might be something else entirely. And also folks who might want to connect with you, uh, please uh, let them know where they can connect with you. So John, what are you pondering now and how fo might folks connect with you? Uh, I am simply pondering uh probably what I'm going to have for dinner. And when I worked <laughs> in higher ed, that wasn't something I would ponder. And so, um, so I think that's a really important realization that I'm more connected to self uh, at this point. And I really try to focus on what that looks like and, and how to be healthy in that way. Um, people can connect with me by email, uh, john.garland at cobellscholar.org. Uh, I, as I have told my colleagues, I'm a Gen Xers, so I'm more comfortable with email typically, um, but feel free to email me at any time. I'm happy to uh, be a resource, be just a listener, um, or share any advice that you, that you might seek, so. That's awesome. Thank you. That's very generous. Rita, what are you troubling now, and how might folks connect with you? just want to express my gratitude for John, Eric, Keith, uh, unexpectedly what I got from this shared space together is what does it mean to be fully human in all of us like in all aspects of mm -hmm. what gives us joy and it makes sense now that I'm thinking about it we're on a podcast about folks that left mm -hmm. soon affair so when we are exiting one way in which we have work what possibilities does that open up whether it's more family time more connection to community and purpose in different ways. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Y'all can email me at Rita at communityrootsfinancials.com. I am a millennial, but I also like emails. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some good banter about the generations and our preferred communication and as we're getting ready for this. Eric Mata, uh, what are you uh, what are you troubling now? You're a troubler, aren't you? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I've been known to to do that for, from time to time, for sure. Um, and I guess the one thing that I've been thinking about, kind of, and, and thinking about, um, I didn't know anything about the other two podcast mates, uh, John and Rita, before coming in to this. But in the introduction, you know, realized that that we we all identify as people of color in in. And so mm -hmm. to, to a certain extent, um, mm -hmm. probably very intentional uh, in your from from Keith, which is something that I've always appreciated about you. Um, but it also got me thinking, like all of these numbers that we see, you know, what what do those look like for uh, folks that have been historically marginalized in the mm -hmm. field? Right. And 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 and, you know, what what can be done? What what can we be doing? Um, what can other folks in the field be doing to, to continue to support? Um, the conversation um, around um, departure, what that looks like, if that should happen, things like that. So, so that's kind of what I've been been kind of thinking about throughout the last couple of minutes that we've been on. A lot of great insight um, ha has been kind of put out there, but uh, so I won't. Uh, you know, I just want to echo what what other folks have been saying. But if folks want to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm more of a lurker on social media than anything else, and a sharer. Uh, I lurk mm -hmm. and I share, um, um, but if folks do want to reach out, you can reach me via email as well, uh, eric, E-R-I-C dot M-A-T-A at gmail uh, dot com. Um, I'm old enough to have, have Gmail um, <laughs> as, as my primary 
primary email address, but yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for closing us out that way. And I think it is, it is perhaps an interesting paradox that that marginalized experience is what brings many people into student mm -hmm. affairs. Mm -hmm. Right. I finally felt seen here. Mm -hmm. I finally felt connected. I, I finally saw someone like me is what brings people into student affairs. And, and it might at the same time be the experience that is having people leave student affairs, yeah. um, looking for something different in that. So that's an interesting paradox that I'm thinking about for the first time. Thanks to the three of you so much. Uh, I knew this was going to be great, but I, I didn't know it'd be filled with so much emotion uh, and connection. So thank you to all three of you for bringing that. This has been terrific. And sharing your experience and your wisdom has been beautiful. Thanks also to our sponsors of today's episode, Simplicity and Vector Solutions. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art tech that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitment to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for more than 2,000 colleges and universities and national organizations. With nine efficacy studies behind their courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at VectorSolutions.com slash Student Affairs Now. Huge shout out to Nat Ambrosi, who is our producer, formerly our production assistant. We've promoted her to producer because she does all the work to make us look and sound good behind the scenes. Thank you, Nat. And if you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to the MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all.